Hey guys, welcome to the Elite Coaching Podcast, episode 14. We are going to be running through birth control considerations for coaching female clients. Joined, as always, with my senior coach, Dermot. How are you, bud? I'm great, man. All good, all good. How about yourself? Yeah, good. Very, very good. Have you... Uh, because we're doing this on a weekly basis now, we can almost do like week, weekly catch-ups at the start. How has uh, how has your week been? My week has been the exact same as all my other weeks, which is pretty okay, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel like very much changes at all. Like even, even when I do have access to a gym and stuff, or when I do have access to a social life, let's say, that, that I never have anyway. But... Yeah, no, nothing has really changed. To be completely honest, I'm kind of happy, happy out in my in my little in my little coaching bubble. That's good, man. That's good. How about yourself? Do you know what? This was a very very good week in in camp. Um, training has gone very well. Um, everything from a coaching aspect went very well. We're kind of just about wrapping up now, like a a very heavy run of prep clients who are we're just about kind of finishing off. So we have. Oh God, probably five left, I think. And then we're kind of cl- closing the door on it, which, and then obviously we're, we're starting up again in May. But um, I know I me and you were kind of talking off air, which kind of would be a nice little kind of thing to maybe start this off with. But um, allowing the next run of prep clients to kind of only kick off that prep when, when we have access to gyms. Because obviously in the last run, we, 80% of them prepped without having a gym to train from. And it was mentally very difficult for them to have to go through that with without having the gym there. It was just a tough, a tough process for them. And you know what? I, I feel for them. You know, I'm I'm obviously on prep at the moment. Now, long way away, not until end of August. But when I when I'm looking at even the setup I'm training in now, I'm training in a gym, but it's not like a fully kit out gym. And even at times, I find it tough. So I can imagine what they had to go through the last run of their prep having to, to train from home I'd imagine it was it was pretty tough so I'm kind of looking forward to kind of closing the chapter on this one and kind of finalizing the last couple of guys that we have now over the next kind of couple of weeks and then we kind of kick off and we go again we, we get ready to, to launch again we'll probably have a two or three day break and then we'll be we'll be straight back in again yeah I, I can't can't imagine it being a a enjoyable process um prep prepping from home yeah um and look i know it's a it's a very superficial superficial thing to say but being able to train in a gym environment especially with male or female when you're that lean it's a nice feeling it's a nice feeling being in that environment when you're when you're that close to your shoot or a show and I can't stress that enough for people. And the fact that they've missed out on that, do you know what? A part of me really feels for them. And I say to myself, do you know what? Like full credit to you guys for going through that. But then also another part of me is I'm just so excited for the next one of people to be able to experience it. But man, credit where credit's due for those people. And some of them got peeled training from home as well, which yeah. is, that's, that, that is a different, we, we've been there. It's, it's hard to go through that. And the fact that they've done it, Man, I can give nothing but credit to them. But other than that, um, everything else has gone fantastic as, as always. But if anything, is that not like it shows it can be done? Like it it shows that like yeah, you don't you there's people prepping from home, 
Ne- never mind, never mind the little like a, a fat loss phase. Like it can't be done, and not having access uh, to a gym can't be a limiting factor. No, and I think for for them, and you know, this is something that I say to every single one of my clients: your prep is a story. Your journey is a story. And at times, I think coaches we do take that for granted. The fact that we only know the story like myself and yourself we've we've coached so many people and at times people just see the before and after they don't see what's happened in between and, and i think it's special as a coach to be able to experience that with so many people but i keep saying to them this is just a part of your story and those struggles that happened in between they are a part but it makes you a very very relatable person because you have gone through something so many people would have, would have would have just stopped you know so many people would have just failed and they would have just dropped out or they wouldn't have been able to do it but it kind of opens up another avenue of relatability to kind of put into any aspect in life really when you're met with a situation that's completely off course you just have to stick by your guns and if you set a goal you know you have to just massively push towards achieving that goal i think it, it, it's taught them more life lessons i think than just getting peeled for a photo shoot yeah, um, just just on one of the things that you touched on there, um, just for, just for any coaches, um, so in you, so you, you touch on ha- having some sort of of empathy of, of understanding what what what's, what somebody else has gone through basically, um, and and that that is again it's, it's a different field but it's definitely relatable. Yeah. Where if you take so if you if you take two groups of people and you pair them with counselors, the people that have an empathetic uh, counselor will be more successful than if you send another than if you send another group home with a counseling book. Let me explain that again. Okay. So we have three groups here. One group has an empathetic counselor. One group is sent home with a book and the other has a just a normal counselor. The people who do the best are the people with the book and the people with the empathetic counselor. So like that in itself, like if you, if you can learn empathy, which you are, you actually can, like it comes with practicing listening and stuff, but if you can learn empathy, it is one of the, probably the best traits that I've gained as a coach that I didn't have going in that you can't, um, can study for. Yeah, you can you can you can practice it, but it's it's one of the the, the most important things as a coach is being a, being able to turn around and be like, hey, yeah, I, I get I get that, I I understand, I, I like, I, I understand that I don't understand as well. So like your situation is completely completely yours, but we're okay. Let let's let's work on let's work through it anyway. Do you think that a lot of junior coaches? may not understand that to the fact of maybe they've either not been there themselves or they've never been coached. Because I think you're probably going to learn it from many different avenues, but you may pick it up from, let's say, being coached by someone who has that trait of a coach of being empathetic. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. Um, so I know, you know, Brian O'Hagan saw. Yeah a phenomenal coach. I, I worked with him for a while. He didn't even like, he didn't even look at my tra- nutrition or anything. It was just purely for just a bit of a mentorship basically. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is why he, he would have kind of like introduced me to like motivational and interviewing and stuff like that. Um, 
yeah, it's it's absolutely massive. Like to be in in a position where, and this is this is something that I know, like that we 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 do quite well and we're quite conscious of is like, if you are a client who feels like you are the only client that the, the, this coach is working working with, can leave you in a, a feeling hard and and re- ready to ready to work with the coach in changing. I suppose. Big time, big time, and you know. It's probably at times that we we don't hear that. Like I, it's funny you said that when I went to Avian's very first photo shoot, Avian said that to me. You know, it's funny you said that. She actually came to me and said to me, "Look, Adam, the reason why I feel I've actually done so well is you made me feel like I am your only client." And I think at the time, then God, I was that sixty or seventy clients, and I think when she said that to me, I was I said to myself, Do "You know." I actually must have done something right in that situation, gave her the time that she deserved going through that prep. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely relatable that you said that. That brought a, a good memory back in. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, it's something that I, that like, we've got to practice as well. Mm. Um, and I think that comes with like, yes, structure and stuff is important. But if, if a client has a check-in, like if clients checking in, they're after having a shit, you give them more time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like yeah we might want to get through X amount of check-ins today but if I need to if, if I need to stay up a little bit later to get through other people because somebody needs more of my time they best, best believe they're getting it like yeah absolutely absolutely um, and again uh, that that in itself can't be taught unless you've experienced it yourself because you would have learned it through, through Brian you would experience it through Brian when, when you had those days and, and going through those times and I had it through my coaches as well and that's what instilled it into us but I, I say to so many people uh, junior coaches you know what what you take in in the first year two years of your coaching career molds you for for what you're going to do in five years and ten years and I think there's always a substantial difference in the caliber of coach you become and the the person that you become and how relatable you can be and empathetic you can be by the environments you surround yourself in the first 24 months of coaching you know like you said surrounding yourself with mentors being in environments that force you to level up and i think there's so much to be said for like big chain gyms but big chain gyms do not put you in that environment because you're kind of left to fend for yourself and when you're left to fend for yourself you know one of my favorite sayings of all time is you don't know what you don't know and learning empathy it's very difficult to learn that if you're not either being coached by someone mentored by someone or just being in that environment when i started off i worked under brian hickey and gary downey and there was probably got four or five other coaches aaron smith played a very big role in kind of helping me mentor me in my very first kind of early stages of my career but it was those people who were phenomenal at the time you know really good coaches at the time but they kind of drilled those core concepts into me at an early age and everything after that all the other education aspects after that kind of come follow suit i think those are the key concepts you need to grasp when you're only getting in the door getting your foot in the door on, on the path is what the path yes so um what are we gonna chat about today my friends we're gonna do some female physiology stuff um some birth control stuff um and some, some yeah all, all, all that i suppose do you know what? i'm actually really really looking forward to this because we obviously ran numerous um webinars and 
chats about this topic before, but it's something that I think just needs to be continually brought up. You know, when we were speaking earlier on and we said, you know, we're going to touch on a lot of things that we touched on on those webinars, but you said yourself, even if those people were were attending, they need to be brought to it again. And it's just something that you, you can never take your foot off the gas with because if you if you take your foot off the pedal for, for, for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, everything becomes a little bit unknown again. And as coaches, we can't afford to take our foot off the gas at this topic. We, we deal with, God, so many females at once inside our business. And I think one thing that we, we definitely pride ourselves on is the approach that we take towards um, our female clients regarding a lot of what we're going to talk about today is birth control, but not only birth control, but just general physiology and how we coach them around their cycle and the considerations that we, we bring into it. What I actually want to do first is kind of maybe give a little bit of a background of, of why when you first started studying this, this topic, what was it that sparked the interest for you? I'm going to relate that to like every single thing that I study because I have clients that I need to know for. Um, some things I'm not going to like, I need to understand this, even if it's not going to change anything that I do as, as a coach, I just need to get it. So I understand. Um, so, so I can, so I can offer a service that I'm pr- proud of, I suppose. Um, and like I, I, coach, I coach females. I, I, this is this is one of the, the big things that like there's a lot of misconceptions around it so like let me go tease them out let me see if they're, if they're real let me see what we can do about it um, and th- that is probably being where it, it's it stemmed from hmm. how about yourself I think I think for myself it was awareness seeing seeing other coaches brush over the topic and we, we see it so much online now but I, I saw a lot in a gym that I was working in females coming in on my period this week and the coach getting a deer in the headlights effect to say, I don't know what to say to that. So we're just going to brush past it, you know, becoming accepting of massive scale weight increases, becoming accepting of this and that, but not having an answer, not having a solution to the problem. And to me, I always felt like that was a red, that was like a bit of a red flag. And I always, always remember, um, hearing those things and seeing those things and then seeing it online as well. And just, just one day, just something triggered with me. And I said to myself, do you know what? I need to learn more about this. So I actually reached out to Ashling from AOK Nutrition and done like a, a lot of private consultations with her. And she came out to a gym that we were working in. Um, and Ashling, God, deals with a lot of our clients now, at least 30, 40% of our clients with just general um, issues or problems that they may have. And she would be kind of my go-to in that sense, but she taught me so much, but just kind of in a sense, like what you'll do with all these people that you meet, they just open the door for you and push you in the right direction. And then it's, it's on yourself to kind of dive deeper down that rabbit hole. But for myself, it was just the, the awareness of too many people just becoming Un, too many people being unknown of the situation but then nearly thinking as well is it a kind of a gap in the market to think okay well if I upskilled myself around that as I was starting to deal with a lot more females and kind of getting that little bit of a reputation for you know dealing with females okay if you you can be great with females learn how to do transformations fantastic and how to train them properly learn the culture and training aspect but if you can I thought I always thought to myself if you can master this 
this is going to offer something that nobody else can offer. And that that kind of opened up the, the rabbit hole for me. And then obviously speaking with Ash Deal Montour on a one-to-one basis, then that's when my interest just grew and my love for it just kind of grew. And you know, when you when you hear people that are so passionate talking about a subject, you know, um it, it just sparks it in you then as well. And hearing how passionate Ash is a bit about this subject and you know how I suppose maybe how how passionate she was teaching teaching myself obviously being a male coach probably a little bit unknown but I think passion creates passion and that just spoiled it for me you know opened up the door for me okay. uh, so, yeah um, I, I must I must do it I'm it, it's on, on the list of things to do I must book in for some consults with her even she, like just yeah pr- practical application dude she's just she has it nailed her her mum was a midwife and then became a nutritionist and a and a, and a, a nutritionist and a homeopath. And then that's how Ashling obviously stemmed. Well, Ashling's brothers own Nutritics. So there's like a family of... Very, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole family. But uh, I think the fact that her mom was a nutritionist obviously opened up that whole path. But yeah, she's absolutely fantastic at what she does and cares about clients a lot. So, um, right. Why don't, why don't we open this up by... Just obviously before we go to birth control, I think it'd be nice to just run through just a bit of an overview of from a physiology standpoint. So do you want to kind of take the reins on this and just run through what we need to understand before we start talking about things? Yeah, so I, I suppose I am, I've been speaking a little bit too much about the hypothalamus lately, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so we have, again, I'm just going to, let, let, let's try sum this up in, in kind of three minutes or so um so we have our uh, like a, a normal menstrual function uh, menstrual cycle the reason no such thing is normal um it, like 28 days is what i'm going to use for simplicity but it can be anywhere between a 24 and 35 days um i think like for it to be termed algomenorrhea which is um I, I believe it's like upwards of 40 like past 45 days um and then obviously like amenorrhea is a lack, a lack of, of a, a period for a 12-week um, block. Um, so we'd look at our, just our, our two predominant hormones. So we have two predominant phases and two predominant hormones. We have the follicular phase, which is the, the first phase. Um, so that, that would be starting on day one of our menstrual bleed. And then 14 days after that, we have ovulation, um, and then we have our luteal phase. And so we have, we're estrogen dominant in our follicular phase and progesterone dominant in our luteal phase. Um, and so like there is some kind of like differences that we're going to see in terms of like, if, if I'm completely honest, I, I, I worry about this less now than I did two years ago. And um, the, the, reason, the reason being is, there's so much inter-individuality between individuals that for us to even try and say that we're going to program around somebody's menstrual cycle is, is extremely difficult. And maybe we can after like working with somebody for like 16 weeks. Yeah. But like I can't have somebody come in the door and be like, okay, we're going we're gonna to base your program and your nutrition around your menstrual cycle because it's just, yeah, I could pretend to, I'd probably sound cool. Um, but, but like... No, the, the the minute difference that we're going to get from like um like like fluctuating carbs and stuff 
no, not not something that I that I will do. Bar the only person I will do with is, is if people are absolute robots. So, for example, uh, Lucia, um, my girlfriend who I who I coach, she's probably the only person that I would have like fluctuations. Um, where I would like in the luteal phase, like maybe pull fat up a, a little touch. Um, try try make a benefit of the increase in basal metabolic rate. But everybody else is just like, okay, what are we going to see around uh, around a, a menstrual cycle that we need to worry about and the main thing is just appetite and adherence um and we we, we spoke about that in, in depth this time last um this time last week so i'm not going to touch on that now um but like we, we need we the, the main thing that i'm looking at is just like okay right that is what i'm worried that is what i'm worried about i'm worried about adherence falling off track so maybe i will decrease the deficit on the week of a female's period for that reason alone not because i'm trying to kind of match the metabolic demands yes like i i see i see means for it like i don't really i see means for it in some people but nah um not not something that i personally do anymore um yeah um actually there's a, there's a good couple of things that i just didn't touch on there um, I was gonna say, <laughs> we, we, you talked about a lot, but you missed out on one or two key concepts as well. <laughs> yeah, so we're just like looking at wait, what, what are you saying that I missed out on? Um, FSH, LH. Oh, yeah, they're yeah, gonna yeah. come up an awful lot. Okay, yeah, um, sorry. So we have our um follicular stimulating hormone, which is going to drive estrogen um production. Um, and then we have our luteinizing hormone. So we have an LH surge, which drives ovulation. Now the feedback mechanism driving this LH surge um, is it could be down to the it, it could be down to the winning follicle uh, driving up estrogen, or um, I, I believe that that is the mechanism driving it and um, driving the LH surge. Um, but the, this kind of like the, the, the feedback loops that we see here um, with, with the flux, fluctuations in, in LH in particular is, is relatively unknown. But just on like what exactly is, is happening with ov ovulation. So we see um, we have these kind of like these proteolytic enzymes that are going to um, bre break down um so it's going, going to break break down. We're going to see ovulation, and then we will see uh, after estrogen is produced, and the we see ovulation. Then we will see um, this this corpus luteum um, being being produced, and this is where we will see um, our progesterone being um, produced. Yeah, I, I approached that wrong, but we've got to it. No, look, no, it's wrong. And you know what? It, they're just the, the concepts of what we need and just so that people have an understanding because when, when we start kind of just discussing birth control as 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 just a general topic and just giving our opinions and advice on what's the right way to go about things in the wrong way but when we're kind of breaking them down uh people will, will need to understand those concepts because they're like like we, we say all the time they may be simple for us but for other people they might they might just not know what they are and that's what we're gonna we're gonna really try to do today is, is just try to keep it as as easy, as easy to understand as possible because like we said when we first started off listening to this there's ways we can go about this that we can just kind of 
complicate and there's ways we can go about it where you can just understand one thing and you're like yeah i actually kind of understand that that's pretty cool let me learn something else and then we'll hopefully be that little stepping stone so um need um sorry for coming across you there but i think it's a lot easier to look at this if we have a diagram in front of us yeah um, so <laughs> listen, to on, listen to it on a podcast we quite <laughs> yeah yeah um i suppose i suppose the, maybe a lot a lot of people all they need is that extra bit of repetition so because they've seen this a couple of times so in that yeah circumstance it could be beneficial like we said we've 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 broken it down numerous times now on on our uh, lockdown lives and on the webinars that we've done but um this is just going to open up again that little bit of a refresher so what what are we going to dive into next day what have you got next on the agenda so you're going to give me a rundown of the different types of uh, birth controls and the effects that they're going to have on body composition. Yeah, so I think when we look at birth control, it is a very, very large topic to cover, but a topic that also contains a lot of similarities and a lot of commonalities as well. So as coaches, I think it's always good just to have a, a base on understanding. And when we look at it from a, a compositional perspective, each one of these individual birth controls slash hormone controls will play some sort of a role in, in body comp. So when we look at just kind of like a, a general overview, um, first, so the, the, the kind of opportunity that birth control has, we can look at it from many different ways. We can look at it from a, a local perspective which we can look at things like the the coil and the patch look obviously um condoms is a form of contraceptive then we look at hormones now hormones are a little bit more tricky to kind of understand and get our mindset around so as 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 these spoke about earlier on the, the key kind of ovarian hormones that we're going to look to identify today would be estrogen and progesterone they can be manipulated in the system from synthetic formats so what we'll kind of do first is just kind of give it a bit of an overview of kind of what birth can i know it sounds kind of crazy what birth control can be used for um but just to kind of give a bit of a breakdown so um obviously it's used for contraceptive uh purposes but also can be used um to treat medical conditions uh, as well so one of one of the big questions that I will always ask when I'm discussing this uh, consultation or throughout coaching, if a client is ever changing or using a new form, is the reason as to why. And I don't think you should ever be afraid to ask that reason why. Sometimes the response that you may get may throw you off course a little bit, but this is when we can kind of look at look at learning a little bit more about these topics. So um, when we're looking at it from a medical standpoint and there, there's going to be ways and means of controlling certain imbalances throughout forms of birth control and again i, I think one of the one i think the the law mcdonald volume two he, he always makes the reference of birth control as hormone control and i think at times it's always nice to use that reference because not always is it for contraceptive purposes sometimes it is for hormone control as well so when you're looking at certain conditions they can be caused by imbalances in hormones and i think for myself do i fully agree with that not necessarily because i i truthfully do believe at times 
that it's better to fix a problem than it is to potentially mask a problem. And sometimes when you look at that level of hormone control, could you argue the fact that you are putting a Band-Aid over a bullet wound in the sense of you're not really fixing anything, you're just short-term fixing the problem. So whenever we look at those symptoms, like a lot of um, PCOS patients will look at forms of hormone control to, to regulate cycle function again a lot of that will be um progesterone progesterone dominant and birth control but you have to always ask the question of why 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 is that level of of pcos why is that testosterone level high you know ask the question of why now do i think that it's in our power as coaches to start fixing those problems potentially not but it's always good to recommend to your client because at the end of the day if, if you recommend for your client who was at a GP to maybe go and speak to a gynecologist, endocrinologist, somebody who will be able to start the process of fixing the problem. And when we spoke about Ashling from AOK Nutrition, Ashling is, is one of those go-tos who has a lot of our clients who have, have had PCOS in the past and they were put on a form of birth control and I didn't agree with that form of birth control. I thought it, was, it wasn't it was the right health choice to make for them from a longevity standpoint, from a fertility standpoint, because we know that some forms of birth control may actually hinder chance of fertility long-term. Is that the right choice to make? Maybe a short-term fix, but think about long-term repercussions. So in, in, in patients like PCOS, I do feel like potential um, hormone control may not be the best thing to... Um, May not be the best thing to, to do when we look at also birth control is is used to treat um pms which again is it masking an issue or is it fixing an issue could potentially be masking dysmenorrhea very painful periods it's used to um control the cycle so um again probably not something that i recommend to do but a lot of at Athletes will use birth control to um, control their cycle because, you know, we, we know kind of maybe um, week week two or maybe the latter phase of the cycle and um, they may feel more comfortable to be able to perform at a high level. There may be benefits from performing at a higher level away from that week of, of menstruation. So it can also be used for that. And like we said, some small things like not small things in a sense, but um, some skin issues. A lot of young, young females are put on birth control or hormone control for acne and skincare, which it's kind of crazy when you really think about that, that they're, they're put on that form, which will go through obviously the, the kind of side effects and stuff. Yeah. So I just think um, like just from just the, the one thing that like I, I will have a problem with is just like when we're using it as a means of like regulating your period when you're not doing that, you're completely shutting off, shutting down endogenous function. It's the same as like a, a, a male taking anabolic steroids. You're completely shutting off uh, endogenous function. So so it, it's not like this this pill is helping me plan my my exactly where my period is going to be but it's 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 planning it for me because it is my period so that withdrawal bleed that we get the only reason we have a or there is a withdrawal bleed program is because females were getting excited because they thought they were pregnant um so, so it like that means nothing um we've completely shut down 
endogenous function um and that that's just like that's probably the only thing that i will pull up with clients is just like hey okay so this this is fine like this is this is okay but we we this isn't regulating your period it's it's uh completely sh- shut it off and there 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 is and this is a a complete different topic but there there is a humongous difference between a period and a withdrawal bleed they are not the same thing and when things like combination pill combined pill even some of the progestin onlys they're utilized to, to regulate like you said to regulate the to regulate a period a period is endometrial lining shedding it's starting to you know release that corpus luteum starting to get that whole build up to ovulation preparing for birth and um, or conception but then when you look at withdrawal bleed, basically a, a drop in synthetic hormones that triggers some blood and mucus to be shed from the from the lining. It's it's not the same thing. They're they're they're, they're miles apart. But what what kind of gets me as well is just misinformation that's out there, and, and so many females just just don't understand that they wouldn't understand the difference between a withdrawal bleed and an actual period, which is kind of scary to think. Absolutely. Right. Well, I, I just while we're on the topic of the pill, we may as well run through the pill. So um one one of the one of the most um common is is the com- combined pill. Um combined pill contains synthetic forms of estrogen um and progesterone, which would be progestin. They'll be they'll be it will be noted down as um, and it's many different methodologies of use. Um 21.7 is a very common approach. 24.4, or 26.2 are the, the most common. But what, the one thing I think we, we need to look at in the sense of this form of contraceptive is temporary form of contraceptive because it's very, very short acting. You And a lot of us would have seen this before. Female clients missed their pill for one day and they'll get a withdrawal bleed the next day. So that's how quick and and easy into the system it is and the one thing that the one thing that i don't agree with well there's probably a lot of things that i don't agree with this one concept but the one thing i don't agree with is you're relying on a young girl's consistency for birth control take it at the same time every day life gets in the way people people miss days people forget to do things so for me when we're looking at it from a temporary perspective, there's many different ways we can look at that. But I personally don't agree with the method of how it's how it's taken. Um, just just uh, from from a just from from a perspective of consistency reliance, I don't agree with that. Um, as, as you said earlier on, the the withdrawal bleed is just to basically make people feel normal again, with no scientific or psychological reason behind it. There's nothing backing um there's nothing backing a withdrawal bleed that i could deem a responsible thing to be able to to undergo i personally feel that consecutive use is a much safer approach than than actually having a break just just on the bias that there's no reasoning or rationale as to take a seven day break um now i do feel though potentially um 
giving a, a week break may help regulate some sort of natural um, estrogen and progesterone levels again. It will definitely help with that consistency in the negative feedback loop, which we're going to speak about now in a moment. But that's the only thing that I would I would deem um, I, w- I would deem a rationale to take it. Um, and you know, coming into now, a lot of the later forms that were produced contain much more bioidentical forms of estrogen. So we're going to talk a little bit later on about the synthetic forms of estrogen and the negative implications that they can have on sex hormone binding globulin and what it can have on thyroid function. But the more bioidentical seem to be a little bit safer. It does seem to be progressing, considering that these forms of contraceptive were were created in 1970, which is kind of fucking crazy to think that they're still in use today. Um, but I think what we'll, what we'll kind of touch on now is is that negative feedback loop. Um, do, do you want to run through that negative feedback loop? Yeah. Um, so what we are going to see is, and this, and this is kind of like some, something that we, we touched on already, um, but what we're, what we're going to see is there's, there's actually I, I will try tie some 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 stress in here as well actually I think that will be a good plan because there's a lot lots of stuff that we we can we can tie in to this that that is going to that that is going to drive down so uh, something that I missed completely as well is just like what what exactly this HP a access is or the hpo axis is sorry is actually what we're looking at here but the stress physiology side of things is the hpa axis um so what we're going to see with this hpo access is what we can see is like cortisol can cross the blood-brain barrier at like certain places um, and, and it will be able to negatively inf- influence uh, follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone the next thing that we see with kind of like negative some things that are going to regulate negative feedback will be um energy availability so when we look at if you are somebody who is consistently in a low energy availability state um which means like so what we have to do is we find your expenditure your, your intake and then there's a little calculation match not 100 sure um what the calculation is but you just you find that it has to be like so low energy availability is um below like 40 calories per kilogram or something like, i can't exactly remember exactly what it is um but what what it, what it gives us is basically looking at this as a, a broad overview if we're consistently in a in a state where we're underfeeding ourselves for long periods of time we're going to see um this is going to be this along with stress is going to be probably the the main drivers of this hypothalamic amenorrhea so the, the complete shut down of um menstrual function and this is something like it's really really important as coaches to get that it's like that, that's something that we have control over it's just like if this fat loss phase isn't working and we're cons- like spending a lot of time in a deficit um, and I don't know, somebody has excessive stress coming in from college or whatever it is, it's just like the opportunity for loss of menstrual function and 
the shit show of implications that come with prolonged low energy availability, so decrease in bone mineral density, um, stuff like that that we don't want to see. And even like if we're completely shutting down our the HPO axis, we're going to see decreases in estrogen and all of the benefits that we get we get from estrogen. Um, and this is something this is something as coaches that we can control. Um, and this is this is why we'll be so adamant of our stress management and so adamant of maybe things like diet breaks and stuff and little little things like that, like spe- spending, not being consistently dieting. I think is the best way of looking at it. Like, don't be a person who is always dieting. If you are just just Gen Pop who's trying to lose some weight, do it and do it once and then maintain and strength train and all that good stuff. But you, you know, you know what I mean? Just, just get it done. Um, do you, you have a, a good bit to add there, do you? Yeah, no, that was, that was pretty, pretty spot on to be fair. Um, it was, it was, yeah, spot on. Perfect. Not, not too much. So, um, yeah, basically, you know, as, as, as you said, we're, we're just looking to have that negative feedback loop kind of roll in and the, the effect that that will have then on that natural, um, natural hormone pathway. Um, as as we're looking at that feedback loop, in a sense, the one thing that I think is is always kind of just important to just know as coaches is, and it's just a very simple kind of take home um, or kind of simple aspect to look at it. When there's when there's more synthetic hormone, um, it will it will just override the natural hormone level and that's essentially what birth control will do. It's the same kind of super physiological effect if, if a male took testosterone, it would just basically shut down his natural testosterone pathway. And it's just important to understand that on a very, very basic level when you're talking about that form of, of birth control. So what we'll, what we'll just kind of run through very, very, very briefly. Um, I took that question my own way, didn't I? Huh? I took that question my own way. <laughs> I, 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 I liked where you went, but that's what I was, I was trying to touch on. <laughs> um, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to touch on very, very quickly um, just a, a synthetic estrogen and the effects that, that it can have on, on the body before we go into marina coil and some of the much longer acting um, progesterone. So estrogen is... Normal, not normal levels of estrogen. Um, free flowing estrogen is is a very very good hormone to have. It can really boost libido function. It can play a massive role. And um, from a strength training perspective, it can boost fat metabolism. If we're talking about a a female who doesn't um who doesn't have any form of of hormonal control in place, you know, you could kind of say that the first two kind of weeks of the of the cycle are a pretty solid week from a training and fat loss perspective but when we do start to bring in those synthetic especially the older generation forms of estrogen it, it does start to have a little bit of a red flag effect i would i would say so um when it's broken into the into the body especially from that combination pill it's it's metabolized within the liver and can actually affect liver liver function so um, when liver function increases and um, kind of toxicity in the liver increases, it also can increase the effect of thyroid binding goblin. So what we always want to understand, uh, just a very simple, simple understanding of uh, going into too much detail. When we look at binding goblin, think about your hormones binding towards um, kind of glycoprotein. So 
every time we have a thyroid hormone it binds to glycoprotein we have an estrogen it binds we have any androgens it binds testosterone it binds progestin binds but the more that that binds to the protein the less free-flowing we have or less kind of availability to get a benefit out of those hormone levels as they then decrease so that's essentially what synthetic estrogen can do um, it, it, it can it can hugely go against thyroid function but again when, when we look at thyroid function any of the negative implications of down of, of down regulating thyroid which we should definitely do it in an episode on um, but from a body composition perspective it, it can be very very bad it, it wouldn't necessarily go too too for us in a sense of trying to manipulate body comp whilst having a shutdown thyroid function um but like I said, the sex hormone binding globulin basically bind sex hormones to that um, to that androgen receptor or to the actual um, sex hormones themselves, so estrogen, progesterone, um, and can also kind of manipulate cortisol, um, which is probably not, not a bad thing. Um, but as as sex hormones kind of bind together, they'll also then decrease the functionality of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone as well. Um, when we look at syn- the, the, the one thing, again, we're just kind of speaking about from a body composition perspective, but when we're looking at synthetic estrogen, it can play a very big role in shutting down natural free-flowing testosterone and um, levels in females. So a female's testosterone level, natural testosterone level could be anywhere from one fifteenth of a male's. So if you're bringing that down by an additional 50%, it's a massive chunk to take away. And when we look at any of the benefits testosterone can have on muscle building, changing body composition, we would like to try to keep that as safe as possible. And I think this can always be one of the arguments for progestin only. Now, again, as, as coaches, Something you, you may argue the fact of, and look, if, if you ever have coaches, if you have clients who are looking to take their body composition to that extreme level, they're looking to build an awful lot of muscle mass. They want to take it very, very seriously. They want to go to that elite level. Every percentage counts. And if you're looking to build muscle, every percentage counts. And if you could have an opportunity to take a synthetic form of estrogen or to run a potential progestin-only there, you know, there's obviously going to be negative implications as well from a progestin, but we're just trying to essentially open your eyes up to, yes, there are some benefits, but yes, there also is a lot, there also are a lot more negatives that, that may come from it as well. So that would be just kind of like a, a bit of an overview of, of those synthetic estrogens and what effect that they may have on on, on, on the body and what effects they may have on, on body composition as well. So um, right, we'll look at the, the, the more local um, form. So the marina coil and the copper coil are probably the two most common that we will, that we will see. Um, the copper coil is, is a hormone-free form of contraceptive. Um, it basically just creates a very, what we would call hostile environment for sperm and um, Sperm is actually is actually um, allergic; like it gets rejected against copper. That's essentially how the copper coil works. It's very very simple. It's um, it's just uh, placed into the into the vagina, and obviously we just rejected um, sperm. The 
Marina plays a little bit of a different role. It does release um, local progestin. So it releases the hormone in that specific area and more or less plays the same role, creates a very hostile environment for um creates a very hostile environment for sperm to set in and it can also um thicken the mucus um that can be found inside the uterus and that in a sense can also prevent sperm from entering into the mucus the one thing that i i like i like to keep in my considerations all the time when dealing with female clients if a client ever wanted to try to regulate her cycle more frequently i probably wouldn't go down the road of a marina coil to the simple fact that it has been shown to irregular irregulate make make cycles more irregular is that the worst word i'm looking for irregular irregular the cycle <laughs> function more or less it can make your cycle more irregular basically um so i i wouldn't be taking it I, I wouldn't be using it as a form of contraceptive to try to regulate um cycle function as it has the opposing effects um the the good thing that i the, the benefit that i like from the marina quiet it still keeps natural free-flowing estrogen it doesn't create too much of a negative feedback loop that it's going to shut off natural progestin levels. You still have your luteinizing hormone. You still have your follicle stimulating hormone. Um, and this would be a much longer acting form of contraceptive. So you'd be looking at most, most calls are in from anywhere from a three to five year period. So you'd be looking from, from more of a longer perspective, but um, from a composition, from a composition standpoint, I don't think that it would make a massive difference here nor there. I do feel like potentially arguing the fact that you'll have more free-flowing hormone levels, more free-flowing estrogen shouldn't affect your natural free-flowing testosterone levels. So if you're looking at that versus like an estrogen only, or we're going to talk about now in a second, um, long-acting progestin probably may be a bit of a better option. When you're talking about this versus maybe like a pill or going completely natural, um, probably you're, you're, you're clutching at straws to find um, a difference. Is there anything you wanted to add into that, Dave? Not that you're probably going to touch mm-hmm. on now in a second. Okay, so we're going to roll on to the last one, which is a favourite of ours, the Debo shot. Um, the, the Debo shot I find very, very difficult to find a benefit from I, I really do i i don't i don't i don't agree with it i don't think that it has any benefits bar sheer convenience it's kind of that middle of the ground and um, it can last for up to three months um but we'll run through now kind of the the the, the effects it has on the body and what it does so as we spoke about before you know if you're a combination pill which is a combination of the both estrogen and progestin you have um your coil which is a local form of progestin but then you have the depot shot which is a very long acting form of first generation and um, progesterone which basically just means it's a very high concentration so when you look at the generations the the, the 
fourth generations are usually always very high in concentration. And as the generations go down, they kind of drop off in their concentration levels. Um, there's a lot of, of, of negative impacts that can come from this, but the number one thing is, is the weight gain that's affiliated with the depot shot. Um, it will be unknown for females to have a seven pound increase and um, seven to 10 pound increase from, from taking the depot shot. And this depot shot manipulates many different things. It can hugely increase psychological awareness of more calorically dense foods and it can have a massive impact on bone mineral density. It can hugely upregulate um, alpha-2 receptor, which tells the body to store fat for later use. So when you think about from a fat loss perspective, you want to be telling the body to stop storing fat for later use. And this can really tell the body to store fat um, for later use. And it can have a huge impact on cortisol receptor, natural free-flowing testosterone, it can have a huge impact on water retention by shutting down the ADH, which is the anti-diuretic hormone. Um, and like I said, in my opinion, the only real benefit from it is just the sheer convenience. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's, it's a, I'm not going to say an unsafe thing to use, but I don't think that it has too many, um, too many benefits that I, I can name off the top of my head. So when you when we're looking at it from a from a body composition perspective, it, it's probably one of the worst to be on. And I personally do believe that if you had the correct skill set, you could argue the facts to a client that if they wanted to really improve their physique and take their physique and their health to the next level, that it's probably not the best option to take. Yeah, and with with like the the fourth generation progesterone, we do see like a, a I think it is the biggest reduction in testosterone as well, um, which is not not necessarily something that we want. Not at all, and I think for for a lot for a lot of us, we definitely underestimate the application of testosterone in females and how how big of an impact it actually has. Um, in 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 female training, female body composition, it plays a it plays a huge huge role. So what we will um what we'll do now is is just kind of ha- have a little bit of an overview, more or less of of everything that we have just ran through. Um, so obviously at, at, at the start we, we kind of just overviewed the um the ovarian hormone. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on there, uh, D, on, in regards to birth control? Nothing in particular, bar like there seems to be in some people, um, it's it, it's going to have negative effects on your your well being. Um, now now it has shown to have positive effects in other people's well being as well, but maybe in. In, maybe you, you are in one of either group. Um, so, yeah, so what we will see is um, uh, progesterone is going to be like a, a precursor for GABA, which is a, a the calming neurotransmitter. Um, so it is the opposite of, of glutamate. Um, and with the syn- synthetic progestins, we're going to see it by, like, let's say we're using the the 
the key, uh, the lock and key example, it's not going to be able to produce GABA and we will see decreased GABA and potentially decreased calming effects in some individuals, Um, which which is very, very interesting. And I do believe, um, again, I... I think it is the, the book, your, your Brain on Birth Control. Now, I haven't read um, the research, but she, she speaks about like um, increased um, rate of suicide in teens with, with birth control, which is like interesting. Um, again, I haven't looked into it myself, so I can't, can't say anything more. I will, I will get you the name of that author now. Um, Interesting, but interesting but at the same time, I think that should just open up your thought process to even if that that statement is mildly true, it's a very, very big, big, um, big impact to have. But there's there's always going to be psychological repercussions when hormones are, are brought into the equation. You know, there always is going to be there's going to be some some form of of drawback or some form of, of decrease. Do you find the name of the book? Yeah, so it's uh, Sarah E. Hill, and it is, it is This Is Your Brain Number, on birth control. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Anything else you want to spark into trouble? So I have a couple of couple of cool book recommendations. So um, the, the fifth vital sign, uh, your the period repair manual, of course, Sly McDonald's both books, except they are... Like that is, a bit, they're pretty pretty hard to get through in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think f- first one was was great, but the second one is probably a little bit more advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely it's definitely heavier. But even the first one, I found like I, I can I can usually get get through a book in about, in about like ten hours or so. Oh, that that woman woman's book took me like I'd say, I'd say about forty. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hated it by the time I was finished it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um the fifth vital sign, period repair manual, this is your brain on birth control, Lyle McDonald's books, and then Beyond the Pill um are books that I've I, that I've kind of pulled references from or or pulled some sort of knowledge from as well. And then like f- for from a looking at physiology side of things, um ninja oh god ninja something or other if you just yeah it will come up on youtube if you if you if you look up um ninja academy or something like that um fantastic for all things physiology um so you can you can get a pretty pretty cool insight into just like it's not as because it's not body composition related at all it's just like okay this is exactly what's happening with ovarian hormones and this is the the effect that it's having on on everything it like goes into he goes into like pretty good detail you'll have a pretty good understanding after after watching that video a couple of times awesome but yeah i think that's that's it like i said we'll, we'll just run through a very very quick um a very quick overview of of, of what we just kind of spoke about and um, so i think the the number one thing that you know we spoke about today and everything needs to be taken and just sheer anecdotal um, response. You know, we're, we're just trying to open up eyes um, as, as coaches, as, as we need to, to uh, what our clients are potentially putting in their body or already have in their body or have taken in the past or are currently on at the moment. And just to open up to kind of see what effects 
they are having on the body. Because like I said, for myself, the big thing for me was being that person that understood. And I wanted to be that person who, if somebody was speaking about birth control, I had a, a baseline understanding about, and even, even having that understanding can really help you out an awful lot. So if I was to kind of give some, some just overall advice, it would be only ever make a recommendation if you really feel like you're putting your client's health at the forefront and you think that the recommendation you're about to make is going to improve their health. I don't think because it's a, it can be a very, very touchy subject to ever make a recommendation otherwise. And uh, if there was ever any form of, you know, previous history and um, regarding the issue, it can be a very touchy subject for, for the client. So just kind of tread on the toes a little bit. If if you may think, you know, look, sometimes we don't agree with the, the depot and it's fucking terrible. But if th- that was the only resolution for somebody for whatever whatever reason and um, it's just it wouldn't be the right the right choice to make to to make those recommendations as they do kind of play close to heart and um, but <clears throat> other than that if you always keep your clients um, health at the forefront and um, you should be able to make a very good recommendation to go and speak to somebody else about trying to take a more alternative route and i think you know there's a lot of things that we could definitely dive into later on but for me myself personally i think taking the most natural route as possible and in 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 regards to solving any problems that may be there like we said earlier on i think any medication around that topic may be looking at masking issues that we need to be resolving from the root cause um and look always always respect your your clients um always respect your client's decision you know look there may be there may be times when they are doing things that we don't necessarily want them to do and if we advise and they still continue to do so we just have to always respect their decision yeah i I think like even even in some circumstances where like let's say for example somebody is taking the depovera um it's like okay i i maybe pointing them in the right direction, finding out the information for themselves. Um, so like maybe just giving them a book recommendation or something, something like that um, might, might be a good option. Um, and yeah, I, I think that I, I, I did that a couple of times because I don't like to turn, like to turn around and be like, okay, well, this is, this is what's going on here. Um, some, no, some, kind of scared them. Yeah, sometimes that's not helpful either. Like, especially especially when we can look at like everything else let's let's get your training let's get your 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 sleep and your stress in a good spot and body composition in 97 percent of the population will be improved by that alone exactly it will indeed right will we wrap up there we will indeed all right thanks very much guys really appreciated that